judge a person and it turns out you didn't have the whole story? Ever learn there was a lot more to that story than you first realized? I'm Kimberly. And I'm Rebecca. Join us as we separate the little lies from the big reputations. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back. What's up? How have you been? Um, I feel like my default answer is always tired because I'm just always tired. Winter doesn't help that, though, does it? No. Also, I'm like an old person and I have arthritis in my knee and it got really cold last week. And I was like walking to my train and I got like two blocks away from it. And I was like, I need to take a cab. I can no longer continue this journey. Like I'm done right here. Um, So that's fun. That's what I'm always like. I should move to Florida. Yeah. Or someplace warm where life isn't like this. But uh, it's supposed to be a mild winter. Yeah, I mean, today wasn't terrible. It was no, this is one of the colder days, but it was only like 30 something. Yeah, I think the range was like 50 to 30 because I was like, what do I wear? I went outside for like two seconds. Layers. That, yeah, I wore like a sweatshirt and a hoodie and then just walked quickly. But um, yeah, tired work is is wrapping up. Like we both work at schools. So like yeah. end of the semester. So oh, like, yeah, it's super busy for me. Yeah. I don't know how it is for in the registrar's office. I imagine people getting ready for the next semester already, right? Yeah, so, like, things are getting kind of, like, things are, some things are slowing down and some things are ramping up. So it's, like, get in there. And then, like, my job is doing lots of, like, it's the holiday season, like, fun stuff, which requires me to come into the office. So that's not so fun. But um, there'll be cake and stuff once I get there, I guess. So. There you go. Bonus. Bright sides. I mean, I can make cake at home. Yeah, the president's office and my department are both doing their end of semester thing on the same day next Tuesday. Wow. So I'm like, all right. Which are you going to? No, both. Oh. There are different times. Nice. We have one thing. We have a raging party from four to seven. It's going to be good. There's open bar. It's going to be good. I've seen people get very messy at these work oh, holiday gosh. parties, which are probably a terrible idea. But Open bar, man. Open and open bar and the company's dime feels different. So it's like, I need to take all these shots because <laughs> I had to work overtime that one time, you know, like, or I came in early that one time. So like extra shots for me tonight. Um, I probably won't do that. There's lots of new people. I want to embarrass myself. Yeah. And now you're like a boss. Kind of. I like right? to spread my face. Uh, shrugs, maybe. No. Don't downplay yeah. yourself. That's what I'm saying. I'm just trying to, I'm not trying to upplay myself. Like, I'm not trying to play myself at all, Rebecca. I am a medium level employee who should still not get wasted at the holiday party. That's basically it. Fair enough. Well, you yeah. know, I can't drink a lot anyways. And then especially get on a train coming home. No. Oh, no. Uh, those days are over. Like, I, my, the way my bladder works, <laughs> it's in, like, if I have three drinks, it's, it's a cab situation automatically. Yeah. Nobody wants to get stuck behind like a train with a sick passenger when you have to pee. New York City problems. Yeah. I once threw up when I was on a train. Oh God. And just a little bit. It was um an R train or an N train. One of the lines where like the doors don't open in between the cars. Oh gross. So yeah, I just basically threw up in my mouth and waited till we got to decalb from canal to decalb if you know that's a long ass but i like what i got off the train 
spit it into a trash can. And luckily there was a weird delay. So I was able to get back on the same train because it was late night and they just like, because I was like, great, I'm going to get out and get rid of this. And then I'm going to have to wait 40 minutes for the next train. But I got so lucky I able, was able to just get back on. I'm like, wait, I know this story. Yeah, it was Megan's something up in oh, Queens going at away the beer party. garden. The beer garden yeah. up in Queens. That was far. But I also think that that has also happened to another friend of ours. Like a similar type story. I that's mean, just like New York City problems, I guess. But yeah. Yeah, like that's gross. Like you could have done your taxes in the time that you held puke in your mouth. Like... I could never like that's yeah. Is yeah. that a Guinness Guinness book like world record? Do From they, canal to decal. <laughs> I would have thrown up three more times. That's just that. I don't know how you did that. I I don't know either. It was a long time ago now. But is that and when you carry was... water everywhere now? <laughs> no, I just got home and brushed my teeth like crazy. But you know, it was one of one of those times for me where it was like I'd had one drink and it made me sick, as opposed to like actually being drunk. Because that's usually when I throw up. That also makes me so sad that alcohol does that to you. It seems very unfair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think it's something in my family because um, I know Ashley has issues like that. Hmm. And um, speaking of Ashley. It's our birthday. Happy birthday, Ashley. Happy birthday, Ashley. We hope you're listening on this, the day of your birth. And we apologize that the episode we said was going to come out on your birthday is not actually coming out until sometime in January. But we'll let you know when that episode comes out and what it was supposed to be. Yes. Because we had plans, but they got shifted. I don't even know how. I don't remember what happened. I don't remember the shift. Well, it's a real person and we're on fictional. Sure, that would have been a good segue into who we're talking about. But we're not there yet. Oh, well, do you want to segue it? I don't want to drop the ball on the segue. I can't. Like a famous WNBA player. Yeah, that's, I feel like that's worth talking about. Like, it's the news. It's happening right now. Mm -hmm. But it's also very connected to the theme of our podcast. I mean, because this woman now has this reputation Mm -hmm. about her. Especially depending on who you ask. Oh my God, yeah. Oh, so by the way, we're talking about Brittany Griner, the WNBA star who plays for the Phoenix Mercury. She's also a two time Olympic gold medalist. Yeah, yeah. And for any, I think most people are familiar, but if you're not or you're listening to this in the future and, mm-hmm. and we've had other issues since then, because Lord knows that happened. Do you um, still have sound waves in the future? Are our podcasts allowed in the future? <laughs> Back on the regular radio instead of digital. That's all that exists is radio waves. Jesus Christ. Anyway. It's like um, Water World, but without like the water. Well, Griner Griner was detained in February of this year by Russian customs officials. She was coming into Russia to play because she wasn't making enough money. She needed to supplement her income with playing for a league in another country. That's a whole another story too, That's a right? whole last episode, right? <laughs> yeah. But she, well, she had like hashish oil cartridges on her. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was like vaping stuff or... I think it was vaping. And it was, it was medical, wasn't it? I don't I'm know. I'm not sure. I'm not I'm sure not about sure. that. Um, but basically they got her on smuggling charges. Mm-hmm. And she was just a 
pawn in their game because they wanted to to bargain her for someone else, but they like made a whole case of her, mm-hmm. right? Like they had a trial that started in July. So she's a detained from February to July. Then they have this trial that lasts a month. Then she gets sentenced to nine years in a Russian prison. And it was uh, like a work prison. So it's not like you just get to, not like jail is easy for anybody, but she wouldn't have been sitting in a cell. Like it would have been like work detail. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, she was just released from when we're recording this yesterday. So for when you're listening, hopefully you're listening right when this comes out. It was mm-hmm. uh, last week that she was released um, or exchanged. Exchanged. Yeah. 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 So they, uh, they made an exchange with a, uh, a prisoner that the U.S. was holding who was a Russian arms dealer who was convicted of conspiring to kill Americans mm-hmm. and had served 10 years out of a 25-year sentence. Because, like, that's the same thing, right? Like, I brought Barely. I brought some hashish cartridges into a country yeah. when I shouldn't have or I was conspiring to murder people. Apparently they made a movie about this guy with Nicolas Cage, The Art of War or The Lord of War. Yeah. One of those two. Okay. So he's like well known. I don't know. I, I just think that it's. I'm just glad she's insane. home. Yes. Yeah. I like, mean. She did not deserve to be. No. A, a pawn in their game. Because mm-hmm. that's really what it was. Yeah. I mean, that's how I see it anyway. No, that's how I see it too. It really seems like. Apparently, like she's worked there for a while. Like it's not her first time going to Russia. Like, yeah, I was just yeah. reading up on her, and she's played for them since mm-hmm. like 2014, 2015. I don't yeah. somewhere in there. She's she's she, played over there. She must have carried before, and like now it was a big deal because, like you said, she was like a pawn, and that's really shitty. Yeah, I'm just I'm so glad she's home. She's mm-hmm. back with her wife and. I just, I feel for her and everything that she's going to have to go through because that's. She'll probably never leave the country again. Like I would be so petrified. Yeah. Never going to Russia again. That's for sure. But even like any of the surrounding countries, I'm like, yeah. nope, I'm out. Yeah. Well, that's a really good um, Christmas present for our family that she's back, but <sighs> it should have never happened. And no. that's like we said, like a whole another episode. Yeah. Definitely at least an episode to talk about like, how disrespected the WNBA is. Yeah, no, a- absolutely. For sure. Like, as I was reading up on her these last few days in the mm-hmm. news, I was like, yeah, I'm adding WNBA to our list. Like, that yeah. just needs to happen at some point. Also, we need to call it the MNBA. Not the WNBA, but the NBA. We should rename it the MNBA. The MNBA? Oh, because men. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, right? Like, there's that default of, like, yeah, doctor, female doctor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, the default is always typically white and male. Mm Mm-hmm. Gross. Well, our fictional character for this week is neither white nor male. Nice. Nice segue. (laughs) So, today, also, yeah. Also, we're both in the middle of colds. So if you hear coughing or one of us just dies in the middle of it, we're, that's why. Yes. I've got what is like the flu light. I don't know. I'm getting over it, but there's still lots of coughing and you've got bronchitis. Yeah. I think it's come back. Like I went to the doctor and 
they give me prednisone and some other stuff and inhaler and all that. And I was good for like Mm -hmm. a week and now suddenly it's back. So good times. So yeah, if you hear any coughing, I'm sorry, but like what's happening here. That's what's happening here. Um, But what also is happening here is that today we're going to be discussing the character Sophia from The Color Purple. We're going to talk about her characteristics, her views on life, and her overall determination. Then we'll consider the different perspectives of characters such as Harpo, Celie, and the townspeople regarding Sophia and her behavior. Next, we'll discuss the reception of this character in the context of both the novel and the film. Beyond looking at the perception of Sophia as a bully, we'll also cover the criticism of how Black men were portrayed. Finally, we'll look beyond Sophia's big reputation from her relationships with other women to the life events that made her who she was. Trigger warning for brief mentions of sexual abuse and physical violence. Um, We don't go into much detail, but we do Mm -hmm. think it's fair to to name them up front for you. So just a little bit of background on Sophia. She's a character from the book turned movie turned Broadway show, soon to be turned into a movie yet again called The Color Purple. So The Color Purple was written by Alice Walker and published in 1982. The film was then directed by Steven Spielberg and released in 1985. So for this episode, we get most of our information from the film because I was too lazy to read the book. It's been sitting on my bookshelf for 10 years and I have not read it yet. Let's let's set the scene on this world with a little bit of a synopsis. All right. So the story is set between 1909 and 1949 in rural Georgia and centers around Celie and her sister Nettie, who are 14 and 10 when the story begins. Both girls, although more so Celie, are being sexually abused by the men in their family. And after their mother dies, the abuse gets worse. As Celie tries to protect her younger sister, she and her father butt heads, causing him to strike up a deal with a widower. Celie goes to live with Mr., as he's referred to for most of the story. We later learn that his name is Albert. So now she's married. She's in charge of the house. She's in charge of Mr.'s four children. And she's also separated from her sister, which is a longer tale for another episode. But things to know about Mr. He's an abusive rapist who doesn't care about women beyond what they can provide for him. Celie is his maid, his babysitter, his occasional rape victim, He believes that all men should be strong and that all women should be submissive. Ew. Yeah. He's not great. And in the film, he's played by Danny Glover. And, like, I love Danny Glover. So it's so hard to see him play such a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. Well, fast forward a few years and Celie's oldest stepson, Harpo. Harpo. Yeah, yeah. No, I just think that's funny because, right... Oprah's company is named Harpo because it's Oprah backwards. Is Remember? Oprah her name because someone in her family is named Harpo? Didn't I ask you this? And I was like, I'm going to do the research before the next episode. And I never did. I, I just, never did. We need to do that research. I, that I mean, we don't have to do it now, right but now, like, we I don't have to do it. Anyway, I just thought that was kind of funny. No, I think it's it, it, it blows my mind every time. And I'm like, which came first, Oprah or Harpo? Well, I mean... Oprah was definitely like, I mean, like before it... this book was written, but no, absolutely. Is, the name, is the name Harpo a common enough name yeah. that it was someone that she was named after, but Maybe. reverse. Oh, we need to find out. Yeah, that's super interesting to me. Anyway, Harpo, Celie's oldest stepson, meets and brings home a woman named Sophia, our woman of the hour. The two plan to wed and Harpo brings her home to meet his dad, Mr. 
Mr. points out that Sophia is fat and also pregnant, and he accuses her of trying to trap his son. A plus guy. Yeah. So Sophia is argumentative as fuck. So she points out that anything Harpo has is because Mr. Bond. So Harpo is broke and therefore he's not actually a catch, which she's right. She's there because she loves him and she wants to raise their child together, but she has zero issues raising this baby alone. Yeah, she'll do what she's got to do, right? Mm -hmm. Harpo, to the dismay of his father, does marry Sophia. Other than being argumentative, she is a strong, free-spirited woman. She's her own person, she's inquisitive, and she's thoughtful. Sophia is also assertive, opinionated, and believes in an equal division of work. Yes. I know. I love it so much. I'm here for her. (laughs) In the film, you see her doing farm work, parenting, and delegating different tasks. To Harpo, she's trying to wear the pants in the family. Oh, Lord, can't have that. No. Women need to know their place, damn it. Yeah, and he's perplexed by this whole thing. Like, what? She's trying to do what? And he takes it as a lack of respect towards him because, you know, everything's about him. He reaches out to his father for advice, but since his father is a scumbag, mm-hmm. I guess that's putting it nicely, yeah. a mister's advice is to beat her. Harpo is wary of this advice, but he decides to take it once his stepmother, Celie, co-signs. All Celie knows is violence, so I guess maybe this makes sense to her? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, this is how she was treated and how she learned to keep in line. So, like, if you're trying to keep somebody in line, this is what you would do. But I don't think she really takes the context of, like, doesn't have to be this way. So, Harpo... He takes the advice and he starts to hit Sophia and it works. She's the perfect wife now, right? Of course not. Like, did you hear our description of her? Do you think she stood for that? So Sophia goes out and finds Celie working in the fields and confronts her about, you know, this terrible advice that she gave Harpo. So I'm going to do like a quote because Oprah does such a great performance. So Sophia's mad and she's crying. And like, again, we'll get to how awesome Oprah is later. But in the scene, she comes barely through the cornfield And I'm like too sick to do this voice, but I'm going to try it. And she goes, you told Harpo to beat me. Her monologue continues. And it's a very famous monologue. People should know it. She goes, all my life I had to fight. I had to fight my daddy. I had to fight my brothers. I had to fight my cousins and my uncles. A girl child ain't safe in a family full of men. But I never thought that I had to fight my own house. She lets out this really deep breath. And she goes, I love Harpo. God knows I do. But I'd kill him dead before I let him beat me. So what I would like you all to do is to Google, you told Harpo to beat me. And that scene is the first thing that comes up on YouTube. Pause this. Go watch that. It's like two seconds. Come back. Dan, I do such an amazing job. I should be Oprah's understudy for things, right? Totally. 100%. Yeah, but that scene is really, really important to like Sophia's character. And it's, It's just great. And like, again, you can find it very quickly on YouTube. Yeah. I mean, just the fact that she's confronting the matriarch of the family that she's with and acknowledging that she's not going to stand for that. Yeah. Like she's like, this is my household now and this is not acceptable in my household. Like I put it up and put up with it in other people's households, but like I am the head of this and I'm not going to be abused anymore. Yeah. So the couple spends the next few years beating each other. And also having kids. Real healthy. Great idea. But after years of this sad pattern, Sophia decides to walk away. 
She takes the kids and goes to live with her sister. Sophia returns much later as a patron at the opening night of Harpo's juke joint. It's what he's been working on in their time apart. So they're both seeing other people at this point, And Harpo is at first annoyed that Sophia is there and says, a woman with children don't belong in a juke joint. He judges her parenting choices, then calls out her date for allowing it. So her date is a man named Henry, a.k.a. Buster. And he's awesome. He's like chill as fuck. He like smoothly tells Harpo, I don't fight her battles. I just love her and take her where she wants to go. And that guy is a keeper in my book. Yeah. He's like, my girl wants to go to the juke joint. She'll go to the juke joint. She's got somebody to watch her kids. Everybody needs a night off. To this, Harpo demands to dance with Sophia. And she agrees. Again, she's in like a really good mood. She's out for the night. Kids are somewhere else. They're being taken care of. They're fine. She tells Harpo that she really likes the place and she lets him know, like, what a good job that he did. Because she's honest. And, you know, even if she, I mean, she's in a good mood, too. But, like, she's not going to tell him that she hates the place just because, like, they ended things badly. Like, right. she's a genuine person. Well, it seems like she's moved forward. Yeah. I mean, she's got Buster. and He's awesome. Harpo is once again smitten. But, you know, who's not? His girlfriend, Squeak. Squeak, nicknamed this because of her voice, confronts the two of them, right? Mm-hmm. And Harpo tells her that he's just dancing with his wife. It's been a long time since they've seen each other. I, I love it, like playing the wife card now. Yeah. Like, okay, buddy. Well, Squeak continues to object, but now turns her attack to Sophia by calling her a heifer. Women, stop fighting women. But also, you understand exactly. the time, you understand the place. It's Yeah. Like, you get it, but still. Sophia moves to leave, and Harpo holds her back and tells his girlfriend to leave. Squeak counters by slapping Sophia in the face. For this, she earns a punch in the face. So this scene shows, like, so much restraint. Like, Sophia's just trying to have a good time, and she actually tries to walk away when she's, like, pushed. But her temper is still there, but she hasn't learned to completely control it. But she tried. And this kind of gives us a little foreshadowing into mm-hmm. later events in her life as well. Because she's not going to take shit. No. The next time we see Sophia, she's in town with her boyfriend Buster and with her children getting gas. So the mayor and his wife are in the town square. And of course, you know, I feel like you know without me saying, but they're definitely white. Shocking. <laughs> And Mrs. Mayer is fawning all over Sophia's children. She's kissing their faces, pinching their cheeks, being like straight up ridiculous. Like these kids hate it. They don't want to be touched in general, but let alone by this strange white lady, right? Yeah, like literally never do that. Like don't touch people's children. Like it's weird. Don't touch any other human. Don't touch any other without human. Without permission. Yeah. But I feel like they're like, especially older people that will go up and like pinch a child's cheeks or like, touch their hands and it's like first we're in a pandemic so don't ever but like even before that like you probably just shouldn't have i always touch kids feet if they've got like socks on because i think like kids feet are so cute so i'll like shake a little foot which might be weird i don't know but i'm not like touching anyone's bare skin like i don't know kids are sensitive don't touch don't kiss and pinch children that you don't know and even those you do get consent Children deserve to have consent, too. True. Right? Unless they have those cute little fat arm rolls. You can pinch those, right? Then they don't get to consent? No, they're too cute. They're too cute. You well, can't and consent. also, I mean, if there's a difference when you're talking about, like, 
little babies versus like children who can talk to. Yeah. And I'm assuming most of these kids were talking. Yeah. They they were just like rubbing their faces and like wiping off like wet kisses. Uh, That's gross. uh, 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 Yeah. So the mayor with her gross kisses. She's spotting all over them. And she goes on to say, your kids are so clean and cute. You should come work with me and be my maid. To which Sophia, like any other random person on the street would, would say, calmly replies, hell no. Because like, imagine I'm walking my dog and someone's like, oh my God, he's so cute. You should come live with me and clean my house so I can spend time with your dog. Like who cares about what you're currently doing for work, where you live, come live in my house because I like your children. Like that's insane. Yeah, that's it's just gross. Yeah, it's just gross. You know, it's like, well, you have nothing going on because you're just some black person. Come live in my house. Yeah, clearly you you have no actual life mm-hmm. outside of what I am aware of of you, which is you exist and have children to be my pet. It's gross. It's gross. But Mrs. Mayor is shocked by her response, and her husband, the mayor, comes over and asks Sophia to repeat herself. And she does, just as calmly as before. She repeats, hell no. So now the mayor himself, he's shocked. And his reaction is to slap Sophia in the face. We've been here before. Yeah. We've been here before. Sophia, on reflex, punches a dude and he goes flying. You know, again, just like that scene with Squeak at the juke joint. But this time there are higher stakes. Right? Remember, this is 1920s-year-old Georgia. And a black woman just punched a white mayor in the middle of town square. It's not going to be good. No. So a white mob surrounds Sophia as she's screaming for her children to be taken away. Like she knows it's going to be bad and she doesn't want them anywhere around it. So the crowd is screaming racial slurs and the sheriff shows up. And Sophia's relieved thinking like he's going to come here. He's going to calm these people down. But instead he hits her with the butt of the butt of a gun and knocks her out. I feel like, you know, watching the movie, you just see him show up and you're like, no, that's not going to be good. Like from from a twenty first century perspective. Oh, absolutely. Because she's like, oh, good sheriff, and it's like, oh no, mm-mm, he's not going to help. No, 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 no. He's going to make it worse if anything. Yeah. In the book, we're told that the police and crowd brutally beat Sophia, leaving her with a cracked skull, broken ribs, and her face is rendered nearly unrecognizable, and she's blind in one eye. And after all of that, she's sentenced to twelve years in prison. Uh, when she is released, she walks with a limp and her one eye is permanently swollen and almost shut. Upon release, she is forced to be the maid for Miss Millie, the, the mayor's wife. She hasn't seen her kids this whole time. Like, think about that. Like, the reason why you're in there. I mean, you could say the reason why she's in there is her temper. But really, I think the reason why she's in there is Miss Millie. Now you have to go work for her. Yeah. Like, you didn't even avoid anything. No, no. And and so now Sophia lives with Miss Millie and she's teaching her to drive and raising her children. In a moment of kindness, I don't I don't know, I guess we could call it that. Miss Millie says she's going to let Sophia spend Christmas with her own family and kids. Oh, how benevolent. Yeah. Miss Millie says it's okay, you know, she'll drive back home alone, like she'll drop Sophia off, she'll drive back home alone. And then she'll come back for Sophia at 5 p.m. When they arrive, Sophia is overwhelmed by the crowd of well-wishers. Her children, who were just babies when she left her there. Celie's there, Harple's there, and his now wife, Squeak, is there as well. Sophia looks around and cries. 
And when her daughter asked her, like, why are you crying? She's like, I don't know any of y'all anymore. And they envelope her in this like big group hug. And it's time for her to like spend time with her family and relearn them. But before Sophia, yes, aw, but no. Because before Sophia can even get her coat off, Miss Millie is having trouble getting the car started alone. She starts to panic and demands to be driven home, crushing the reunion that's been so lovingly set up by her family and her friends. You think about that and you're like, what the hell? She couldn't start her car. But like I mentioned, it was one of those like crank. It was, it's actually, let's describe the scene because I've watched this movie so many times this week. It's one of those crank ones and she can't get it out of reverse. And like all the men in Sophia's family are like trying to help. And she actually starts to freak out. And she was like, those men were chasing me. And I've always been so good to you people. So she's also, no, I'm done. I was going to leave it out. But she also is like, these black men were trying to attack me and they were just trying to stop her from like ramming into the house because she couldn't control the direction of the car. So, yeah. And then like Sophia's like my cousin, Johnny or whatever can drive you home. And she's like, I miss Millie's like, I can't be in a car with like some colored person. But her whole thing is that like, she's always been really good to the colored people and like, they should love her, but also she's terrified of them based off nothing. (sighs) Well, a few years later, we see Sophia. She's at Celie's dinner table. They ask her how she's feeling, and she says, confused. She's visibly older, so she's trembling, and she's very quiet, so we know that a bunch of time has passed, right? And in this scene, Celie is telling Mr., a.k.a. Albert, that she's leaving. Long story short, uh, she had met a woman named Suge Avery, who inspired her to be more independent, and Celie will be leaving with her and her husband. So Celie is reading the whole family for filth. She calls out the kids for being bad. They treated her horribly when she first got there, but she doesn't blame them. She blames Albert for being cruel. She calls him dead horseshit and tells him that his father should have raised him better. His father is also at the table. Right. So she's she stands like she stands up and she's like finally letting all of this out because Celie used to be like super quiet with no backbone. So Sophia starts laughing and the table just starts staring at her. And she says, I sat in that jail till I about near rot to death. I know what it's like, Miss Seeley. Want to go somewhere and can't. I know what it's like. Want to sing and have it beat out of you. Emboldened by Seeley finally standing up for herself, all the women at the table have the kind of awakening, right? Harpo's wife, Squeak, declares that she is leaving with Seeley and Shug. She also demands that she be called by her actual name, Mary Agnes. Well, you can decide what you're called. Yeah, because people were just like, oh, you got a squeaky voice. Your nickname is Squeak. And that's what they all called her. No one even bothered to like tell her or, or give her any other a name. Like they're just yeah. like, oh, that's your nickname. Well, so the women are bonding over their newfound independence. And Sophia brightens and starts loading her plate with food, saying, Sophia is home. Sophia is home. Her head is up high and she's light again. Sophia has seen a couple of more times. Her joy is definitely back. Her head is up high. It seems like she's no longer working for Miss Millie. She's back at the juke joint with Harpo. The two have found their rhythm and they are happily growing old together. So now we want to talk about the perception of other characters towards Sophia, right? So let's Mm -hmm. start with Harpo. Harpo loves Sophia. She's unlike anyone he's ever met. But as we said, his father was against the marriage. Albert thought, and I mean, he was right about this, that Sophia was too strong-willed for Harpo. But to Albert, 
strong-willed was a bad thing, whereas, you know, for Sophia, it was just who she was. Mm -hmm. So all the examples of a husband-and-wife relationship that Harpo had were loaded with violence, and the women were always subservient. So when his household isn't like the one of his childhood, he thinks that he's failing. And when he talks to his dad, who, again, is a dirtbag and only sees success as, like, ruling over these women, he his father, like, confirms that he's failing. Yeah, according to the criticisms that he gets from his father and his grandfather, he's failing because he has a mouthy wife who doesn't simply do what she's told without question. Now remember, again, these two have zero respect for women. Harpo sees the error of his ways after his marriage got violent, but his pride wouldn't let him do what he needed to do to keep Sophia from leaving. Her leaving is like one of his truest regrets. The two manage to find their way back to each other eventually, and they end up in a relationship that is safe and nonviolent and at least has the appearance of being equal, which is all Sophia really wanted from the start. Mm -hmm. And I will note that he also stopped spending time with his father, like they kind of all do towards the end. So I think once he got more distance away from his father, he was like, oh, I don't have to be a terrible person. Like he, there was something that attracted him to Sophia in the beginning, right? Like right. they were good. He liked her strength. Yeah, he did. He must have. I mean, because... She never hit it. But if you cut that toxic person out of your life, then you're you're no longer your being poisoned by that toxicity, mm -hmm. right? Your viewpoint changes, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about Celie. Celie is Sophia's mother-in-law, and they both have such profound impacts on each other. When they first meet, Sophia showed Celie how to stand up for herself against men. She flat out tells her that she shouldn't let Albert beat her, but she should fight back and defend herself. Yeah, the two start out as polar opposites, right? Celie is meek, while Sophia is bold. Sophia is the first person Celie meets that shows her that things can be different. The way Sophia carries herself makes men act differently. So to me, it seems like Celie might, might have been a little bit jealous of Sophia's like lack of abuse. Like She's got a really free spirit, and this might be why Celie gave Harpo that terrible advice to have him start beating Sophia. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. I, I hadn't thought of it that way, but I can see how that could have played out that way. Yeah. Because it's kind of like, what would have, what would Celie's life be like if she wasn't abused? Like, could she have been like Sophia from the start? You know, mm -hmm. like, I mm -hmm. think that's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, but during the book slash movie, the two switched temperaments. Sophia's time in jail and then spent under Miss Millie was filled with abuse and hardship. Her expression, her care for attitude, it all had to be buried. Like, she becomes a different person completely. Yeah. Celie, on the flip side, though, was nurturing a female friendship that was teaching her to stand up, take pride in herself, and have a voice. When Sophia's released from jail, the two run into each other at the grocery store. Sophia's given a list by Miss Millie, but her eyesight is so bad. Remember that whole beating that she endured? Getting hit in the face with a gun part? Yeah. And yeah. being blind in one eye, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, she can't read the list very well because of this. And Celie actually jumps in wordlessly and just gathers all the items. And Sophia actually lets her, right? And I think that's a big deal for Sophia to kind of open mm -hmm. herself up and and allow someone to help her. Yeah, just like allow someone to like take care of her. Like, I, I don't think that would have worked earlier. Like years earlier, Celie would have been way too timid to get involved. And Sophia would have been too proud to let her help. Yeah. Sophia and Celie become really good friends. They grow old together, which is amazing given all that they've been through. But they get to have a really happy third act. 
Finally, we're going to look at how the townspeople, aka the white people, see Sophia, right? They see her as a menace. Again, reminder, this is 1920s rural Georgia. The people in town expected Black people to be helpful, respectful, and quiet. Sophia was not that woman, right? Mm -hmm. She did not take orders. She was not subservient to anyone. Definitely not a white lady she'd never met before. So when the mayor's wife asked her to be her maid, the only answer Sophia could give was hell no. Not the best answer at the time, but very fitting to her personality. Yeah, I don't think she could have given another answer. It's like totally different level because of the time mm-hmm. and her race and all of that but it vaguely reminds me of that time where i was like walking to work and those children's international people asked <laughs> me they were like do you like children and i was like no <laughs> like, it is sort of that gut reaction though yeah. right like it's very different her consequences were much more oh, severe yeah. you can't even compare those two mm-hmm. but that that being caught off guard to such an extent that the only thing you could do is like impulsively answer or not impulsively. um, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for, but kind of just like without thought, it just comes out and that's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. She's honest. Yeah. I respect that. But unfortunately, given the time and place, there were consequences Consequences, for that. Yeah. Consequences. So the town people that gather to confront Sophia about punching the mayor don't even really see her as a person. One calls her a fat N-word. She's just a problem to them, a problem that needs to be dealt with before others get the idea to fight back against the racism in town. So now we're going to move on to talking about audience perception of Sophia Mm -hmm. and, and how, like... Maybe she's seen as a bit of a bully. Yeah, she definitely is. There are people who who think that way. I mean, I guess that's one reading, but like, I don't know. I feel like you got to do what you got to do to survive. Yes. You know, and I think I feel like that's more her case than just like bully for the sake of bully. Mm-hmm. But, you know, okay. I mean, she was mean and mouthy and people argue that, well, maybe she caused her own problems. Again, black woman, 1920s, rural Georgia. The answer is no. Yeah, no, she wasn't causing those problems. <laughs> no. You know, that's that whole like, oh, if you don't want problems, then just be quiet. Like, just give in to what the police say. Just listen to, like, don't fight back, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm, no. Can I tell you, segue, my mom is a crazy person. And I was talking about how I can never get arrested because I have, like, extreme claustrophobia. And, like, no one's going to listen to me about not being thrown in the back of a police car like when I get into a car, I automatically roll down the window. Doesn't don't care about the weather, anything. Like I can't be in a closed car. And I was like, I can never get arrested. My mom's like, well, just don't do anything. And I was like, yeah, okay, mom, that's how that works. And she's like, well, the cops don't arrest you if you're just like minding your business. And I was like, mom, are you insane? She's also from that camp. Like she voted for Eric Adams, and I never let her forget it. I always complain about it to her. Uh, but she's definitely from that camp of like, well, if you're just good, nothing bad will happen. And yeah. It's like. No, that's that ain't it. I mean, I'm glad that her own experiences have proven that to be true for her. Yeah, you know, like I'm very happy Thank for God. her in that state. Yeah, but like, yeah, that's 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 a a hot take. And yeah, because I always think of like Sandra Bland, and I'm like, she was sassy and she pissed off some cop, 
and she went to jail and never came home. Mm-hmm. And I can be quite sassy or I can like not take your shit. I'm going to give you a sarcastic response. Like, I don't care who it is. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get me fucked up. And like, I just completely avoid. I mean, I expect situation. that kind of stuff from my parents. But they're white AF. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they do have that luxury more so than a black woman or a black man yeah. does, right? I gotta think that it's from, so like my grandma is from the South. So I think it's gotta be a pass down, go along to get along mentality. Like mm-hmm. keep your head down, keep your nose clean. Like no one will bother you. And like, again, my mom's never been arrested. My grandma's never been arrested from what I know. Like, So for them, it works. It works, or yeah. It but it's worked. just like, that's not really, right, so I was talking about, I was like, oh, I wanted to go to protests like over the summer and I was like shit and they're gonna like shoot me because they're gonna be like she's being aggressive but meanwhile I'm having like a full meltdown because I'm like in an enclosed space so I was like can't do that and it's it's weird it's it's my own weird phobia but like it does affect a lot of things I don't know I I think that's very real like yeah so the the fear of being in a closed space no police is gonna take you seriously no matter who you are with that Mm -hmm. but even less so in your case yeah and I will try to, like, I've opened the car door on a moving car before. If I'm like, I have to get out, I have to get out. And, like, we have to stop everything. And a cop's not going to listen to me on that. So, like, it's going to look like I'm trying to escape and I'm going to get shot. So, like. Please don't get shot. Please just better to arrested. avoid all of that. I don't know. Or maybe see a therapist about why I'm so claustrophobic. That's the thing. Why too. not both? Why not both? <laughs> try not to get arrested and see a therapist. Yes. Win win. <laughs> anyway, you know, some readers or audiences of the film even argue that Sophia was the bully, right? Yeah. Harpo was just a simple man, kind of a bumbling fool. And the criticism is that Sophia tried to run the household. And this just wasn't done at that time. Like a woman mm-hmm. running the household? No. Mm. She's supposed to make the sandwiches and raise the kids. Like, how dare she try and have a say, you know? She was supposed to be subservient, and she wasn't. She was a rule breaker, and her being a rule breaker led her to that interaction with the mayor and his wife, and, like, ipso facto led her to being put in jail. So, like, I of course I disagree with the fact that, like, her role was to be subservient. Like, mm-hmm. she didn't fit into her role. Like, that wasn't what she, who she was. But also, like, what would be the point of the book or the movie if everybody was just agreeable and followed the roles that was assigned to them in life. Yeah. I mean, honestly, the point, the point of any literature, whether it's on film or on Mm -hmm. a page is to share those like conflicts and those perspectives to like teach us something new about the world Mm -hmm. and not just be subservient and accept everything that's handed to us. I mean, you're totally right. That would be the most boring film ever. I honestly think, though, if, like, it were real life and Sophia was given the cho- the chance not to punch the mayor, I think she would have 100% punched the mayor again. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I feel like Walker wrote this in a way where it, it is very realistic and there are absolutely Sophias out there. Mm-hmm. And there needs to be. Because where are we getting progress if we don't have those people, right? Exactly. Yeah. People to stand up to the system. So talking about the book and the movie, you know, let's look a little bit more at what the audience kind of thought about both of these versions of the story. 
So when the book came out, when the book and the film came out, um, people, they had mixed feelings. So the book and the movie both shared very strong criticisms of Black men, which kind of started the audience off on the wrong foot. It was the early 80s and Black men were making a name for themselves in entertainment and the political world. You had Robert L. Johnson, who started uh, BET, the Black Entertainment Network. He started that in 1980. You had Brian Gumbel, who was a journalist, who became the first Black person to be an anchor on a major network when he joined the Today Show in 1982. Like, that's kind of huge. Like, 82, like, I was born in 85, and we, like, just had a main, like, Black network person. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of crazy, but, like, okay. Jesse Jackson ran for president, and Carl Lewis won four medals at the Olympics in 1984. Like, Black men were doing it. Like, they were, you know, doing it and doing it positively. Yeah, and I feel like this is just... I don't know, this this concern is valid on one hand because mm-hmm. then you know you're going to get some white people turn around being like, see, see, black on black violence and all that mm-hmm. nonsense, right? Yeah. Like that, that, that still happens today, yeah. you know, and then we've got this book and it paints black men as violent and sexist. So when The Color Purple was released, journalist Tony Brown called it a Nazi conspiracy, the most racist depiction of black men since the birth of a nation. And like the birth of a nation, it's like, I don't know. I just feel like it's one of those films where I don't want to tell people to go watch it, but also at the same time, I feel like you need to be aware. So go like Google it and find out about it, but don't, don't take your time and watch it, please. Mm -hmm. It's, it's not, not a good depiction. I also just want to, I think it's good to note that like the book was set in the early 1900s, but the film came out in 1982. So like audience should be able to see Danny Glover as this character who's a terrible person, but not look at their black neighbor and be like, well, he must be just like that because he's black. Like people should be able to understand that like a movie is a movie and a book is a book and it's not the same thing. Sorry. The book, the movie came out in 1985. The book Mm -hmm. came out in 82, but still it wasn't when they thought, like, what was it like? Oh, the sun only rises where I am because I can see it at that time. Like, people or audiences are smarter than that. Like, like they yeah, should be. They should be. Yeah. They should be. And the thing is, like, if I watched a movie where a white man was violent against his wife, I'm not going to sit there and think, oh, every single white man is this way. And this mm-hmm. is, like, indicative of the entire culture. Right. And a lot of white audiences wouldn't do that either. So why do it the other way around? Why? Because it's an easy narrative for you to use if you want to be disapproving or against an entire race of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you want to be straight up racist, let's say it that way. Anyway, the NAACP and the Coalition Against Black Exploitation both stated that the film portrayed black people in an extremely negative light, black men especially. So this reminds me of a scene in the film where Celie insults Harpo and Squeak laughs and Harpo tells her to stop laughing and says, you know, it's bad luck to laugh at a man. Men cannot be the butt of the joke or the target of any kind of criticism without going into a huge rage. But women are supposed to just like get the joke or like stop complaining because like it's just it's just a joke, right? It's just a joke. It's just a movie. Like they're supposed to just get over it so easily. Also... But we were doing the research on this. I was like, the NAACP also were the ones who like tried to boycott Whitney Houston that time. Like, I know they've done way more good than bad, but like some of the bad they get involved in is like real petty shit. 
They have their moments. It must have been, a, I mean, it must have been a slow week because, you know, Maybe. like Carl Lewis won all those gold medals. Like I said, black people were doing really well at this time. So they were like, we got to find something. <laughs> honestly, let me backtrack because okay. honestly, they are out for the betterment of black people. Yes. So to see a movie that depicts men, but they, like, I want to give it to them, but I don't want to give it to them. Because, I, like, un- I, can, I, yes. I think I understand what you're saying is that like, what they're really concerned about is making sure that people don't like audiences don't sit there and go, this is what black people are. Yes. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it is just one story being told exactly. and they need to acknowledge that aspect as well. Mm-hmm. And they, yeah, you need to, you can't just like bad pun, but like you can't just like whitewash your history. Like this is a thing that probably happened. This, I mean, she didn't get the story out of nowhere. Like, this is probably, unfortunately, a common story and not even just for, like, Black people. Like, mm-hmm. you grow up on a farm and it's weird. It might have, I don't <laughs> I mean, a farm or not, but, like, in, in a yes. rural area. In a in rural area, the 20th yeah. century. Like, there's uh-huh. a lot of factors besides race in here yeah. that play into why these characters behave the way they do. Yeah, like, rapists and, like, sexual abusers are not just Black people, you know? Like, no. It's sadly something that goes across all that goes across all color lines. Like it could happen to anybody of any race. So mm-hmm. I do understand the NAACP being like, could you not make us look bad? But also there are strong black male characters in the book. And like mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that like just because there's some bad ones, it doesn't mean it ruins. Well, and it seems everything. too that like Harpo does grow and learn over time. Mm-hmm. And right? so does Albert. So does Albert. He becomes a different person towards the end of that book, too. Like, he doesn't fully redeem himself, but, like, because he can't, because he's so horrible. But he makes strides at being a less shitty person. There you go. Yes. So, in an article titled The Color Purple <clears throat> Revisited, Kristen J. Warner, associate professor in the Department of Journalism and Creative Media at the University of Alabama, says... No one actually interviewed black women back then to get their thoughts on the film. Like, are we surprised? No. No, we're not. Because most of the time, black women aren't asked about their own experiences and assumptions are made, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this this happens, especially in healthcare. Oh, my God. <laughs> Kim just like, don't get me started. I Because like, even when, like, if someone does ask you, like, your experience, they then tend to tell you it didn't happen that way yeah and that's happened to me so yeah that's happened to me so many times oh so warner later speaks about a focus group that was done in 1995 in which women were asked about the film and how it affected them so that focus group was done by jackie bobo who had dedicated a chapter of her book to this whole topic so it was called black women as cultural readers in her focus group it was overwhelmingly the opposite of what black men thought of the film So what was so important was that Bobo gave Black women the opportunity to express their thoughts on a movie in a space where nobody else had. She stretched the conversation around the film, giving us insight into how complex and diverse in thought Black women are. Like, uh, I mean, it feels like it should be just super obvious and like Mm -hmm. not something you need that for. But unfortunately, that's that's the reality, right? Yeah. So like, it's kind of like, did this movie paint men in a great light? No, but the story wasn't really about men or even for men. It was about women. It was about a female voice in a time where it was really hard to have one. But there were men there, you know, trying to stifle that voice. 
like they do. Yeah. Even, you know, 60 years after the story would have taken place. Mm-hmm. But these voices were not silenced. Alice Walker actually won the 1983 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction and the National Book Award for Fiction for The Color Purple. And the movie was a hit as well, right? The film was a box office success, grossing $142 million against the budget of $15 million. It also earned 11 Academy Award nominations. It failed to win any of them, but 11 nominations is really huge. So actually, yeah, I mean, racism, probably. Yes, and the NAACP were like, how come it didn't win? And it's like, you didn't want this movie to even come out. You can't have it both you're ways. Right. Listen, may- maybe why not both? Because okay, all right. They're, they're right. Like, No, they are right. It won nothing. This movie is like really fucking moving. And like it had such great performances and it won nothing. Mm-hmm. No, well, that, you know what the problem was? There was no white savior in it. That would have won all the awards. Mic drop. I wish you could. I wish this was live. You could see my face. My eyes just got so big. You're right. And I didn't yeah. ever. I I didn't notice the. I guess because the only white people in it are like negative. Literally, only the mayor and his wife are the white people in this film, and like that's it. But yeah, like there's no white savior. Like, oh, can we talk about white saviors for a quick second? Have you seen or read The Help? No, no. And I think a big part of it was because of that white savior like message that I heard all about. And I was like, you know, I don't think that's really for me. I think that that got nominated for a bunch of stuff. It definitely put uh, Emma Stone like on the map. And I remember I read the book and I was just like, so these women. You mean Easy A didn't put her on? I love Easy A, Easy A is amazing. <laughs> um, I just remember being so frustrated because I was like, oh, so all these black women just like lost their jobs. And risk their safety so this white chick could write like a newspaper article? What? Are you kidding? And <laughs> this book was could never. everywhere. Sophia would be like, hell no. Take your ass, go back to college, write a book, write about something else. Like, this is nuts. Like, I like they risk their lives. Like the performances again in that movie are really great. I remember when I read the book, it was like, I don't know, this is when I worked at Barnes and Noble still. So it was like a big deal when this book came out. Like, I don't know, the press around it was huge. And when I read it, I was like, oh, I mean, I guess, but like the, I don't remember the name of the character Viola Davis plays, but like she lost everything. Yeah. She like lost her job. She worked for like one of the worst like white women in the neighborhood, but she had such a great relationship with the person's daughter. And like now that daughter doesn't have Viola Davis and it's all because Emma Stone had to like write a story and it got this woman fired. Like no- nothing good happens to the black people. And I think Emma Stone gets like, a job at like a, a newspaper in New York or something. Right? I would have like, such a hard time acting in a movie like that. You know, like I understand the historical setting and mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. But like, I would have a real hard, like, I guess that's why I'm not an actor, but you know, honestly, I think the check must've helped because you had Viola Davis and you had Octavia Spencer who are such forces in acting and to play these characters, I mean, and yeah, Jessica Chastain, like, you had very good performances in this sure, film. Sure, sure, sure. But just, like, the message. Mm-hmm. Why are we making a film? Like, the book was one thing. Books get made, whatever. But I feel like when you decide to make a film, you have to look at, like, the message. And they were just like, yeah, white people are better than black people. And black people will do things for white people. And it doesn't matter. Like, if the message at the end was that, like... Like they drove home the message that you shouldn't be these people. You shouldn't be the help doing these things. 
But I don't think, like, I never got the impression that that was sort of the moral of the story. No, because nothing, nothing good came to these, to the black people. Yeah. I can understand if it was like, oh yeah, you should stand up and you should like not let people treat you so terribly. And then they unionized or something. Right. But like, that's not what happened. (laughs) They just didn't have jobs in a town and time where they needed jobs. Mm -hmm. And the white people were still white. And I'm sure toilets still got put in garages. Like that whole, that whole movie and people love it. It's problematic as fuck. Yeah. And somehow Emma Stone is seen as this white savior. And it's like, she didn't help anybody. But herself. They helped her. Literally, they helped her, the absolutely. title is The Help. I have so many questions for that writer. Like, ugh, rethinking it with, like, older eyes. I'm just like, how how the hell did this get made? Like, you know how it got made? There's not enough Black people in publishing. There's not enough Black people in, like, film directing to be like, hey, maybe we change the ending a little bit so it's not so negative on the Black people. Or maybe we just don't make this because, because what does it say? Yeah. Yeah, I, I but so we didn't have any white saviors in the color purple, Thank but we God. did have we did have Oprah. Oprah's all you need. So mm-hmm. Oprah Winfrey, which like I forgot her last name was Winfrey because we all just call her Oprah, right? Right. She's definitely one of those <laughs> single name people. Like, do so, you know anyone else named Oprah? I feel no. like it's one of those names you just like. It's right? on this pedestal, and you can't like name your child that. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, yeah. but I you. I mean. Way, way to set up your kid for like failure because if your kid's not successful it's gonna be like oh oprah that's a big name and now like i don't know i was gonna i, I don't want a job shame i was like now you make coffee but like making coffee is important so it is maybe you start a union start a union i'm very pro-union over here anyway uh, yes same oprah winfrey was a radio and television host at the time so her background was in journalism she had zero acting experience like nothing whatsoever So Quincy Jones uh, was a producer for the film and was working on the soundtrack. He insisted on hiring Oprah. Like he put his foot down and was like, Steven Spielberg, hire this woman. And Steven Spielberg was like, cool, I'm on board. And like the rest is history. Like that was a jumping off point for her career. So I think it's easy to say like without this film, we might not have had Oprah and how she is now. So let's dig a little bit deeper. Who is Sophia? Well, Sophia, as we talked about before, she's strong, she's bold, and she's daring to the point of maybe becoming a little bit reckless. Her high opinion of herself gets her into some trouble. She refuses to humble herself in front of the mayor and his wife. And for this, they humble her. We can assume that Sophia grew up in the same area that she lives now. Like, I don't think there was a lot of movement back then, like, you grew up on the farm. You maybe moved to town. So since we're given no other information, it's it's easy to assume that, like, she's born where she lives now. And as a Black person growing up living in the South in the 1920s, she would have been aware what could have happened if she punched the mayor in the face, right? Like, she would have known. Yeah, if she'd had a moment to stop and think about it before she did it. Yeah. Um, then again, she is Sophia. She probably would still do it. Yeah. And I mean, and she would know what was expected of her as a Black woman in the mm-hmm. 20s in the South. Yeah. And, and I mean, she knew that white men ruled the town and Black men ruled the household. But she wasn't having that. Mm-mm. Right? Sophia's character seems almost future-based as her nature was not to be a follower on the streets or in her home. 
She understands that people might not like her because she expresses her opinions and she expects others to express their opinions as well, right? She wanted to be a part of her household. She wanted to contribute to that household. She didn't mind hard work or stopping hard work to take care of her children. Like she was on board with all of that, but she also expected her partner to do the same. Yeah. I mean, what a bitch expecting things to be equal. Um, So she expected things to be equal and not having it that way should be met with disappointment, not violence, right? Like Harpo's idea, like, well, you know, it wasn't his idea to hit her, but like the idea that he went along with it. Yeah. But the the idea that like, you'd be like, oh, this person's not listening to me. I guess I'll beat them up is ridiculous, you know? So when Sophia fails to be what society expects of her, she's punished with that violence, first from Harpo and then from the mayor. Yeah, and presumably in jail as well. Like, yeah, you know, I'm sure it wasn't sunshine and rainbows. Or like Orange is the New Black. Yeah, no. No, it was probably more like Brittany Griner's situation. Yeah, when I Googled like, Sophia in prison, I kept getting Orange is the New Black because it was a character named Sophia Brissett. And I was just like, what? And then I was like, oh, yeah. And then I wanted to watch Orange is the New Black again. In in her own household, Sophia sheds the idea that she is to be the meek maid and devoted wife. Not that she isn't devoted, but like Mm -hmm. she's not going to just like bend over backwards. Not mindlessly devoted. Yeah, Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I like that. You know, she was looking for her marriage of equal representation to the point where when Harpo starts to beat her, she beats him back. Like, that's a logical reaction in my mind. It's it's very funny because, like, there's a line in the movie. They're like, he beat her. She beat him. And on that time, like, the babies kept coming. Like, they still loved each other. But he was like, I need to beat you for this to work. And she was like, I need to beat you because, like, you're disrespecting me. So it was just violence this violent circle yeah. until she finally got off the mirror around. Thank God. But like, yeah, her idea was like, well, you're not going to hit me because I'm an equal member of this household. So like, you're mm-hmm. going to get it just as hard back. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Harpo tries to rule with an iron fist and what he gets in return is another fist mm-hmm. right back at him. Harpo fail- falls into this like hen pecked husband trope. So if you don't know, a hen pecked husband is a man who is, controlled by and a little bit frightened of a woman especially his wife this trope feels like an excuse to beat your wife though so i don't really love it the husband needs to establish control as to not become henpecked make her fear you rather than you fearing her right and that's where that that cycle of violence comes it's like mm-hmm. because people are emasculating him so much for yes. this it it becomes this thing where see i am tough i'm yeah. i'm going to beat her She's not going to beat me, but Mm -hmm. Sophia is. Sophia's relationships with women are better than they are with Harpo, right? She sees them as her equal and they reciprocate. She has sisters that we see on her wedding day and they love her. They scoop her up for a hug before she even kisses Harpo. Sophia is a devoted mother. And even though she's taken away from her own children, she cares for Miss Millie's kids like they were her own. In the book, When Squeak, Harpo's New Wife, leaves with Celia and Shug to start a singing career, Sophia takes over raising her children. Like, even after Squeak called her a heifer and slapped her, Sophia's, like, forgiving as fuck. It's like, these kids didn't do that. I'll take care of them. Even after Celia advises her steps on Harpo to beat Sophia into submission, 
When Sophia confronts Celie, she doesn't say she's a bad person or call her a bitch or something, right? She painfully explains why the advice was bad and gives some advice of her own. Stand up for yourself and don't let Albert treat you so poorly. So Sophia's time in jail and the time that was spent with Miss Millie is really what crushes her spirit. Her personality was the quote-unquote problem for everybody else. She was too loud, too opinionated, too much, so they had to beat it out of her. As being herself became a hazard or a risk, she crawled inward, leaving her as a shell of herself. Sophia loses her strength and dignity. She puts up walls to keep people out and protect herself. Once she's free of Miss Millie and back with her family, she doesn't understand that she can relax. You know, she's had years when being herself came with severe punishment and she kind of lives with that trauma mm-hmm. inside her. Yeah, she's definitely like a very dull, reserved person. Like she's not like, I don't know how like, everybody just go watch this movie first and then understand it. Like she's complete, like a 180 of like what she is from the beginning. Like she's just this, this very reserved, quiet, visibly scared person. And when she sees Celie standing up to Albert at the dinner table, like so strongly and so comically, it gives Sophia a glimpse into how she used to be and kind of like, helps to retrieve her, kind of like sets the, you know, the unplug replug of a person. Yeah, like, yeah. It allows her to like remember, oh, wait, people can stand up to people. I used to do that all the time. And I used to be real sassy about it. Oh, hey, I could do that again. And it kind of like starts this, you know, renewal. Yeah. I mean, she slowly becomes herself again. Cautiously, though. Right. She proceeds with caution. Mm-hmm. With the help of Harpo and Celie, she finally feels safe enough drop some of those walls and let Sophia be Sophia. All right. So final thoughts, takeaways, Sophia from the color purple. Um, So like first I want to acknowledge the power of black people to take tragedy and make it comedy. There are many, many very funny scenes in this film, even though the subject matter, it's gets very rough at sometimes it kind of reminds me of like black Twitter where it's mm-hmm. like you talk about like the most horrible things and on black twitter people are making fun of it and i'm gonna miss twitter for that like i'm gonna miss twitter for black twitter black twitter is ex- exceptional um but back to sophia so i love her i think the only thing that she did wrong was like being born in the wrong time period like mm. i'm such a fan of people who stand like 10 toes in their personality like you're not gonna come for them this is who they are they don't change it from person to person. Like Sophia was the same person with everybody that she met. Her personality was so strong and it was really painful to see how it was taken from her. Yeah. I mean, it's like for me, you know, when, when early 20th century black women characters are written by white people, they're often depicted as complacent and one dimensional. And I think, mm-hmm. well, maybe in the help, they're not one dimensional. They are sort of like, that. that does sort of fall into that category a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then here comes Walker, right? A black woman telling the story of black women. And none of them are the same. They're all complex. Yeah. And it's so obviously needed because that is the truth, right? That all these women are going to be different. Creating these characters, especially Sophia, you know, Walker shows us these complexities. She Mm -hmm. shows a strong woman who stands up for what she knows is right and true. But at the same time, she also gives us the realities of the consequences for black women like Sophia in that time and I just I think in that sense the story does so much to to expose 
so many truths of that mm-hmm. time. Yeah. No, it definitely does. And that kind of what you said kind of reminds me of um there was this interview Issa Rae did a long, long time ago for the show Insecure, where she was speaking about how she doesn't write her show for white audiences and how that's freeing. So there are like little jokes that like white people might not get, but it's not specifically written to explain things to white people. And I feel like Alice Walker did that in this book. Like Mm -hmm. this was a black experience. White people can relate to it, but it wasn't written to be, let's explain it to to white people or let's, let's dumb this person down. So like white people don't feel a type Mm -hmm. of way about it. Like, like any, like this is the experience of like, a poor person in the South. And it could have been anybody. It could have been any race. Like, poor people in the South, like, go through the same things. It doesn't matter what race they are. But I feel like Alice Walker was like, I wrote this for Black people and other people can get enjoyment out of it and can relate to it. But she didn't dumb it down or, Mm -hmm. like, change anything for the audience. I I also get the same impression from Black Lady Sketch Show. Yes. Like, I've watched that and there are moments where I think it's really funny and there are moments where I'm like, this isn't really hitting for me, but like, I know it's not meant for me, so it's okay. And I think that's the big difference is me saying like, it's okay. It doesn't have to be for me. Well, I think that there are certain people and you're not one of them, but there are certain people who I do remember having a conversation with someone once and I was like, oh, Atlanta's really, really good. Like you should watch Atlanta. And they're like, oh, that's not for me. And I think that certain people think that like things of certain with like particularly like different races in it isn't for them. And I think that that's really sad because like I grew up watching everything like I grew up listening to everything like I've been to more rock concerts than I can count but like I also saw like 112 live like I grew up listening and watching everything and I never thought that something wasn't particularly for me unless it's Wes Anderson because I don't (laughs) think he makes anything for black people but I think that people should be open to watching things and I'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure lots of our listeners and lots of people haven't seen that color purple because one it's really long too it's like it's kind of depressing but there are so many good points and there's so many good performances and also remember it's directed by steven spielberg so like he does a fantastic fucking job it's i just think it's so good and i think people yeah. should go watch this movie like yeah i mean absolutely see it i think when i was and and i mean you you said like you don't count me in the that group of people but like when i said that the some of the things in Black Lady Sketch Show weren't for me. Mm-hmm. It was more like the joke, not oh, the yeah. show and the story. Like mm-hmm. it was a very funny premise. Yeah. Right. I don't need to get every single joke to still get enjoyment from that show. No, there are like very specific jokes. There's this joke about like um, it's called like Pink and Lovely. It's like a hair lotion, and it's such a black woman joke. That, like, other people wouldn't get it. But, like, I had to pause because I was laughing so hard at it. Like, I do love that 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 stuff is so around now. Like, you can get really good things that are made for you. Because, like, lots of things are not made for Black people. Lots of things are not made for, like, Spanish audiences. Like, I, again, we talked about this earlier. But, like, the default is white. Mm-hmm. Lots of things are made for, like, white laughs. How many Asian sitcoms can you think of? I right that bothers me so much like I remember who was I talking about this with somebody was talking about how like in the heights didn't like represent like all Spanish people and I was like well maybe if they were allowed to make more than one Spanish movie a year it wouldn't matter (laughs) you know what I mean like you could have nine movies and you could represent like every part of Latin culture 
you don't have to shove it all into one movie. And I think exactly. about like crazy rich Asians, you had to shove it all into one movie. And I loved that movie. And I loved how much Asian people love that movie. And we haven't gotten another one like that. It's like one year, you get one big one for like the little races. And it's it's frustrating. And that's not what this, this episode is supposed to be about. But no, this but is where, we, this we, is where we are. This is, this is where we went. Yeah. Um, where we are in our episode, though, is to run down the list of resources and references. And honestly, I think we really just want to start with some primary sources. Mm-hmm. The Color Purple are written by Alice Walker. Go read it. Go read it. I'm going to read it. I I'm say like it. I've read it. No, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it before the end of the year. Okay. Quote me. That Goals. is my end of the year goal. All right. I met all my reading goals. I was supposed to read 55 books this year and I read 56. So my last one will be The Color Purple. I love it. Yes. The Color Purple, the film as well. From 1985, directed by Steven Spielberg. It is currently available on HBO Max. Most of you have HBO Max. Watch this film. Report back to me. Let me know what you thought. And the last reference that we're going to give you all today is reflecting on the color purple 35 years after it hit theaters. And that was written by Makisha Madden Toby. Let us know what you thought of this episode. Do you have anything to add to the conversation that we might have left out? Or do you have any suggestions for women that we should cover in the future? Follow the podcast on Twitter and Hive when that comes back. It's down what right now. Hive? Uh, they're they're updating their servers and now they're just waiting for the approval from the app stores to to okay. like do their update so but yeah it was it was down for like a week but they were like really trying to build it up okay. in that meantime so we cut them some slack <laughs> anyway you can follow us on twitter or hive at big rep pod and instagram and tiktok at big reputations pod send us a message or email us at big reputations pod at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us with your friends, your family, or your girlfriends. Subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Check out our Big Reputations merch. The link is in the show notes as well as in our Linktree link found on all our social media platforms. And be sure to take a picture and tag us when you make a purchase. I mean, the holidays are coming. You got a Redbubble gift certificate? Yeah. Get some Big Reps merch and Oh represent. my God, I do have a Redbubble like, gift credit. I'm going to buy a shirt. Okay. I'm going to buy a shirt. I'm going to wear it. I fully People are going to be like, what's on your shirt? I'm going to be like, I'm going to hand them a business card and be like, it's my podcast. I love it. I fully support this. Yes. Also, remember that we've got a Patreon now. Patreon.com slash Big Reputations Pod. Or just check out the link in our link tree. Whether you pledge 2 or $5, you'll get a shout out in our episodes. And if you choose a $5 level, you'll have exclusive access to our Little Reputations episodes. These are short mini episodes about amazing women throughout history. And stick around for the end of our episode. We'll share a little bit of a teaser from our, our upcoming Patreon exclusive Little Rep episode on Alice Walker, the author of The Color Purple. All right, Kim, what quote do you have for us this week? Um, it's from the Woman of the Hour, and the quote is just, hell no. And as always, believe women. When Walker was eight, her brother shot her in the eye with a BB gun, blinding her. You'll shoot your eye out. That's what I thought. I was like, oh, that's like so topical because it's like Christmas and it's a Christmas story. And he actually did shoot her eye out. And that's so sad. So like everything became harder. Like doing chores on the farm became hard. Socializing became hard. So her mother was looking to cheer her up and she gave her a typewriter. Like best gift ever for someone who would go on to write. Yeah. Prolifically, right? Like.